Hey everybody, this is Kathy Craig and you are here listening to the Huddle Guide podcast. And today we are with Josh Hoosman, lead pastor of Mercy Road Church. And in this part of the conversation, we're talking about why disciple making is so important. Hey, Josh. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yes! I can't believe I get to be the first inaugural person, so thank you. Oh, my goodness. Well, Josh is our lead pastor here at Mercy Road Church and been in existence for 10 years, going into our 10th birthday bash. Yeah, I can't believe is it. Is that crazy? It's been fast. I mean, just what everything, 10 years goes by quick, way too quick. But anyway. Yes. yes. Hired me. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Kathy Craig, if you don't know Kathy, she is one of the most caring, amazing followers of Jesus. We first met Kathy, we literally, it's the only interview process I've ever been in, where we brought you before the board and everybody was like, she lit up the room, why would we not hire her on the spot? Oh my She's such an incredible relational person, so. Well. They don't say those things about me, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't wait for people to know you more. Yeah. But at the same time. You do have this fun personality where you can self-deprecate and do all the things, but at the same time, get real serious. And um, the whole idea of doing this podcast is so that we could take this huddle guide that we created and also have a conversation where people can feel like, oh, you're with me. You understand what I'm going through. You understand my passion for disciple making, but at the same time, understand the highs and the lows of that. And so I am just excited. I have been a student of disciple making from you. And I've been a student from a number of other people. So that's, you know, I know that a lot, the Lord has been doing something really cool, I think, in the United States over the last 10 years of really a greater emphasis on disciple making, what that looks like, and learning from Jesus in the New Testament. And so that's why I'm so pumped for this. I'm pumped I get to be here today, but also to hear the resources in the coming weeks as the podcasts continue to come out of stories of how people are living this out. Yes, absolutely. So here's what I would love for you to answer first. Okay. Would you tell everybody a little bit about what drove your passion to make disciple making such an important part of Mercy Road Church. Well, first, I think it's just hilarious that we've, because that is the conversation, right? Like, why emphasize disciple making so much? But when you look at the Great Commission, it was the primary thing that we were supposed to do. Uh, Matthew 28, right? Uh, Verses 18 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we think discipleship happens through osmosis, that just if we get in a small group together, somehow discipleship will happen because we're in a group. And that's just not what Jesus did. There was an intentional discipling relationship. He was the rabbi. These were the disciples, the learners. You know, disciple is mathetus in the New Testament. It just means learner, that you're learning the ways of your rabbi or teacher. So he, there was this discipling teaching relationship and that was the primary way in the Gospels that Christianity spread. Yeah. And then it led to house churches in the Book of Acts. And so uh, we always felt like from the beginning that church should model what we read in Scripture. And so discipleship and disciple-making for us were about intentional discipling relationships because that was the Great Commission. A lot of times I'll uh, mm-hmm. tell people, you know, uh, the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And I'll ask them, how many of you have ever been intentionally discipled by someone not in like an accountability group or a small group, but intentionally discipled by someone. 
And how many of you have ever intentionally discipled someone else? Mm -hmm. And you would be amazed at how few people who have spent their entire lives in American churches have never been discipled by someone or discipled someone else. They've spent thousands of hours in worship services and small groups and accountability groups, and all those things are fantastic, but they've never done the one thing of like, like if Jesus comes back, he's going to be like, the one thing I asked you to do, you could do the one thing, go and make disciples. Like that's the primary thing that we have to do as uh, churches. So anyway, to answer your question, it became the pr primary thing. We tell people we would rather have you miss the worship service or even uh, miss out on the mission that you're living out before you would miss out on your time for being discipled and making disciples in your discipleship huddle. So yes. that was the primary uh, driving force was the Great Commission for why we take discipleship serious. Yes. I remember when you did huddle and I was in your huddle and you took a bunch of the staff and you were like, I'm just going to teach you all these things. And you did huddle with us. Yeah. And I remember you asking that question of, have mm. you been intentionally discipled? Yeah. And I honestly remember looking back and thinking, I don't think that I have. Until wow. This I didn't even know that. And Not you've had in people this pour way. into you. Yes. 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 So let me ask you that. Yeah. What is the difference between p someone pouring into you versus being discipled? Well, I think those are, are great things. And sometimes, you know, having a mentor that you can just go to to ask questions and all of that can be really helpful. But again, it comes down to what is the primary thing that Jesus asked? It was to be uh, making disciples. And so for us, disciple making is you're committed to learning the ways of uh, of Christ through a particular person, and that person is committed to pouring into that person. And so in our discipleship huddles, there is this process where they invite you to come and follow you, them. And and we've we've used a, a lot of disciple-making materials that are out there. We started with 3DM stuff. We've used all kinds of other disciple-making things now, but really focusing on the heart of there has to be more than just mentorship. This is, we want to make disciples. And in particular, that also means that we don't do one-on-one -on -one discipleship either. Yes. So uh, if you look at the New Testament, Jesus always did disciple-making in community, discipleship in community, because you part of the discipleship, learning the ways of Jesus, is learning how the leader is actually discipling others. So sometimes we learn just as much, not from how we're being discipled, but seeing someone disciple someone else in, in community. And so uh, that's a big part of the disciple-making process. But all that to say, we still, I pour into people who are not in my discipleship huddle. They, I've had people pouring into me. I have mentors, you know, I have mentors and all that sort of thing. It's just when it comes to discipleship, let's do it the way of Jesus, in community, yeah. in committed discipling relationships, um, not just in a, a small group or accountability group. Totally. And how, this is another question that I get a lot, and I would love for you to answer for everybody. Okay. What is the difference between we just talked about pouring into versus disciple making or discipleship. Yeah. And what about the difference between a Bible study and being in a discipleship process? Yeah. Well, Bible study is fantastic. I'm a huge fan of it, I, particularly in 21st century postmodern culture. I think it's more important than ever that we live in biblically illiterate times yes. to understand scripture. But if we're looking at the way that Jesus led disciple making, 
uh, we often say he was teaching wisdom and not content. Mm. So he was teaching them how to live as a Christian according to biblical principles and hear, hearing from our Heavenly Father in the process, how to pray and actually hear from God, and and not just teaching a class. Yes. So in, in our huddles, we do teach Scripture. I think it's super important. And and we have people, uh, many of us will do Bible studies in community or on our own, obviously outside of disciple the discipleship huddle time. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, having Bible study in the huddle and outside the huddle, I would encourage everybody to do that. It's a great use of your time. But that's not all that discipleship is. We don't just teach people an academic class of understanding the historical context of the Bible, and that's going to be discipleship. Yes. And I think if you look at American church history, that's often what we turn discipleship into, was just a class, an education that you got, rather than the education including learning the ways of Jesus and how to hear from God, how to pray, see what the Holy Spirit's doing, learning your, your place in the local church and how you're uniquely spiritually gifted to live out the fivefold ministry of the church. And all of that is all a part of being a disciple of Jesus, mm -hmm. not just understanding content. Yeah. So that's key, I think, is uh, getting a, a, a grander view of what discipleship is. Yes. I, I have learned to appreciate this and have grown so passionate about it because even as a former teacher, school teacher, yeah, I on. love just teaching in a class, right? I love that interaction. But at the same time, what I have noticed about this particular uh, model of discipleship is that it is not transactional. Mm. It's more yeah, get into that. What do you mean by that? interaction. Yeah. So it's not like you come to the class and it's not all uh, dependent on the knowledge of the teacher. Um, it really is the classroom becomes your life mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. what is going on in your life, what has gone in, in, in your life so that you could, you can create your own relationship with God that is not dependent on somebody else yes. necessarily. Yet, the beautiful thing about it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it the process of doing that in community just oh, supercharges huge. it. Yeah, absolutely. And here, here's I'm I'm in the church context a lot. Yes. So for the like pastors and leaders out there that may listen to this podcast, or you're leading uh, discipleship groups or huddles out there, you know, I want to tell you that one of the struggles I think in churches, we'll talk a lot about. Man, we just need more leaders. We need a well. There, I've been to all kinds of seminars about leadership pipelines. Yes. And a leadership pipeline is like, here's how we're going to reach someone for Christ and then take them along to become a, a spiritual leader in our church. The primary way they did that in the New Testament was in discipling relationships. Yeah, That the way that we produce spiritual leaders in our church has to be from intentional disciple making. We can put them through all the leadership courses in the world. They may have all the right leadership knowledge, but if they don't know how to hear from God, yes. what are we producing? You yeah. know, as Christians, as as church pastors, what are, what are we producing? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the goal shouldn't be to just educate on leadership skills. It should be to learn how to hear from the Lord in our lives. And, uh, you know, that that is what I feel like a lot of American Christians feel like, oh, I, I could never really do that. Yeah. That's just what, like, the super Christians, they hear from God, and then they tell me from a stage about God, but I can't really talk to him. I just learn about him. Yeah. No, every human being can know God. And can hear from God in their life. Yes. And so that's what we're trying to produce is spiritual leaders who know content, yes, but also can hear from God in their life. Right. Yeah. I love it because I think so often 
we have this perception in culture right now that we need to um someone else needs to do this for us. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that we can't do it for ourselves. Like we don't have this agency to actually hear from God. And I do believe that this process of disciple making and especially the the way that we are doing it and that I think we're really committed to, um, I think that that has been profound in helping people really feel like, oh, I do have a powerful relationship with the Lord. And it gives them tools to keep developing that relationship in all the different seasons of their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. You know that analogy uh, that we'll use sometimes in church that like they, they spiritually we teach people how to drink milk, but they never get to where they can eat meat. They can never become that, that, that fully developed Christ follower that God created them to be. And, and I think that we do so much handholding sometimes yeah. that we don't allow people to have that growth. And I was just thinking, as you're talking about this, because Kathy is a fantastic mom. She's, she's a, a better parent than, than I am. Um, although she lets her son, Jesse, play Fortnite way too late at night. And sometimes I'm like, that kid needs to go to bed. But He does. <laughs> but what I was, uh, I was just thinking about, like, as you were describing that, about how we uh, don't have people kind of grow up in their faith and learn how to hear from God. I was thinking about uh, Lisa, my wife and I, yeah. how in parenting, we have different approaches sometimes. And and she is a better parent than me too. And so like, sometimes my son will be like, I'm really hungry. And he'll be like, can you guys make me a sandwich? And and Lisa will be like, no, you're you're almost a teenager. You can make your own sandwich. Yes. Go, in a, go in a fridge. Get the get the the, uh, the 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 jelly out. Go get some peanut butter. You can make a peanut butter. You know, no, I don't know yeah. how to make it. You need to make it for me. Uh, you're almost thirteen. You can figure this out. For me, as a parent, I just eventually get to the point that I'm like, oh, forget that. I'm just going to make the sandwich because I don't want to talk about this anymore. Right. And so I always bail them out. Well, I feel like pastors, leaders out there, we do this to Christians in the church all the time that we bail them out because we just don't want to deal with, okay, yeah, I know that you don't know how to hear from the Lord, so let me just do it for you and let let me just tell you what the Bible says and never really force them to grow up. Yep. And they're still drinking that spiritual milk. They never really grow up into the person that they are meant to be, and that's not good parenting and it's not good disciple-making. Yeah. Um, And so that's part of what Huddle does that intentional discipling relationship is by the end of it, and it's one to three year process, we're wanting people to begin to be able to lead this on their own. And and for many of you out there, you feel like you have enough problems in the world, you could never become a disciple maker. Forget that. I just yeah. you know want to go to heaven when I die. I want to tell you, you can. Uh, if I could encourage you, I've seen some of the best disciple makers be people that thought they could never do this, but yep. then they take it seriously enough that this is the primary mission of their life in the Great Commission, and they go on to make a huge, huge impact. And so if you yeah. feel like you could never hear from God, I want to encourage you that you can, but it's like anything. It's going to take some practice, yep. flexing some spiritual muscles that you've not flexed before. Yeah. It's about getting uncomfortable, about doing things oh, a little like bit yeah. differently. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. 100%. We used to use the phrase, getting uncomfortably close to Jesus. Yeah. Because when we do that and get out of the comfort zone, and we get to know him in a more intimate way. It transforms us and makes us into a, a closer disciple of Christ. So yes. that's our goal. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think 
again, in the American church right now, and what I've experienced in the past decade especially, is that we want to create these incredible experiences Mm, that people are so drawn to, but at the same time, there's a downside to that. That people get so comfortable with such a great experience that they actually don't own it for themselves and take it out into the world. I don't know. Do you you find that true? And you can see that. Like we do, uh, I mean, if if you know Mercy Road Church, we like our worship services are dynamic. We're teaching the Bible in a a biblical but relevant way and engaging people right where they're at. But, But in the end, our goal is to help them become disciples. And all they're doing is getting this initial worship service every week, and we're developing worship attenders uh, rather than disciples, yeah. we're not really living out the, the the full nature of the gospel. And so, and even in the huddles sometimes is what we call our discipleship groups. W- when we get them into that context, a lot of times as huddle leaders, we can, again, do too much hand-holding, mm-hmm. not wanting them to be uncomfortable, and we're worried more that they have a good experience and they don't quit rather than helping them really cultivate a heart for hearing from the Lord. And are they reading scripture and hearing from God in scripture? Are they praying and actually practicing spiritual disciplines and becoming the the type of person God could desire them to be? And that's, that's hard. But I've also learned... If if somebody's out there and you're trying to make disciples and, and and you're getting uncomfortable sometimes, but it's just still not happening and you're frustrated, that's a part of the process too. Yes. I've led many discipleship groups and huddles over the years, and some of them I've seen incredible life change. Yep. And some of them I haven't. And sometimes that's on the the person being discipled. We can't force change on people. Yeah. And and that's why I look at Jesus and even, you know, one of his disciples was Judas Iscariot. So uh, you know, that that human beings can make their choices, and that's part of the hard work of disciple-making. For sure. I remember um, when you were huddling us as a staff and you were telling us about, okay, you're going to hit like a three-month mark yeah, where you're just going to be like, I'm exhausted. I just, <laughs> I want to just like, just moonwalk out of here. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember you saying that to us. Yeah, because every every group, like even in our micro churches where there's additional long-term disciple making happening, that th- there's going to be this anytime you start something new, that first three to six months, everything's exciting. Everybody, yeah. everybody likes each other. Nobody knows the quirks about each other yet, the frustrations. They're not tired of that person talking and they're not tired of this person not saying anything. All right. Like they everybody's excited. And, yeah. they, and they love you as the as the disciple maker, right? Like they everything's great. But then you get three months, six months in, stuff stuff starts coming out. I'm tired of making time every week to go do this thing. I got other stuff going on in my life. That person's beginning to annoy me. You've pushed me <laughs> to change my life. I don't want to change my life, right? Like there's all these tensions. And it becomes really easy to like avoid that. Yes. And that's why we don't make disciples because right. it's hard for the one trying to disciple and it's hard for the one being discipled. But that's how, uh, you know, positive life change happens. Sometimes it's, it's hard. Yeah. Um, it's like we step into the mess together, but we're also not the solution to the mess. Yes. Right? Yeah. We have a phrase uh, at the church uh, that we use a lot that we want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And people usually really like that because they hear, oh, I can have issues and problems in my life, and this is a safe place. And that is 1,000% absolutely true. And I believe Jesus says he came for the sinners, right? Mm -hmm. A doctor, uh, the the patients need healing. And so 
But what I think we forget sometimes that when you go to the hospital to get better and heal, sometimes there's painful procedures that happen there. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, surgery is not a fun thing. No, People that's why they it. knock you out. That's, why, that's right. <laughs> Did you know that the guy that developed anesthesiology, uh, he, was, he was a doctor with the last name of Simpson, he actually was a Christian. And he developed that, so that's yeah, a little interesting insight. Yeah, praise the Lord on yes. that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Thank I you, Jesus, know you probably have so many fun facts, dude. It's just like I'm throw full in of them. there. Whatever you need, I can give you. All. But you know what? Uh, that that yes, that is a painful procedure. That's why they put you out. Like, and sometimes in when we're healing and and growing in our faith yeah. and becoming more like Christ, there is this painful process that we have to go through. Yes, and it is so easy in a culture where. In American culture, we have everything at our fingertips, and 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 we're used to things getting our way fast and the way we want it. That like having that time to slow down, hear from the Lord, and allowing Him to change us, we will avoid that at all mm -hmm. costs. And I've been guilty of it too. Yep. So that is the hardest part, I believe, of making disciples. And for those trying to make disciples, that when they have those frustrating situations, not right. thrown in the towel. Right. I think the greatest disciple maker is the one that sticks with it. Yes. You know, who cares that you had one good discipleship group one year in your life? The people that stick with it for the long haul are the people that really make the long-term impact. We want to be marathon runners, not sprinters. Absolutely. And I still also remember you telling us you learn huddle by doing huddle. And yeah. you get... You just learn the rhythm and you learn this sensitivity to the Holy Spirit the more you lead huddle. Yes. And I definitely, as someone who considers myself a lifelong learner, I do. I feel like every huddle that I'm leading now, I'm I am. I'm learning a little bit more of the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit and yes, what's going and beginning on. Yes, begin to see where he goes. Yeah. That's powerful. I love that. And, you know, I'm going to be totally honest, though. Yeah. You, you said feel the rhythm, and my brain has gone, like, down <laughs> about a Bob Sud team in Jamaica, and I'm like, feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme, come on now, it's Bob Sud time. <laughs> and that's part of the problem with my brain. So I am, I, you know, I'm thinking disciple-making and about bobsled teams at the same time. But what I love about that rhythm yes. and feeling that rhythm of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your when you're making disciples is that process of beginning to see, oh, people can actually change. Mm-hmm. And not uh, giving up hope on that. Yes. When you learn, like, oh, I don't have to force this thing. I don't have to get frustrated. I just have to keep asking spiritually curious questions and allow them to encounter Christ. And he will eventually do what he does mm -hmm. and he will change them. I'm not their savior. Christ is. So there yeah. was a point in all of that. I wasn't just talking no, about great. a fantastic movie with John Candy, but. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I do. I miss John Candy. He was a yes. he was a great actor. Yes. Um, I also think about this idea that we're so achievement oriented, and that we think like, okay, we're gonna get to the end of this thing, and we're gonna see this like major achievement. Yeah. But really, the call of following Christ is faithfulness. Wouldn't oh, yeah. you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And our goal as making disciples is not to have all the answers, just to be faithful to what the Lord has put in front of us. Yeah. And so if he, if you're out there and he has given you relationships with people who want to learn more about the ways of Jesus, yeah. like just being faithful to those relationships. And sometimes that starts as easy. I, I tell everybody in my discipleship huddle, 
I don't go out and ask somebody I just met, hey, come and come and be in my discipleship huddle for the next one to three years, and we're going to donate or commit 90 minutes a week to this, and then we're going to meet outside of that. And yeah. I don't do that. I, I, you you got to have like a farm system first, okay? <laughs> like, who Oh, yeah, pe- tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, like if I meet somebody and we begin to have spiritual questions, they might not even be a Christian yet. Yeah, I'll get to know them. I'll meet them for coffee. We'll talk. We'll talk the Bible and Scripture and life and all that kind of stuff. I've had uh, guys that I've literally met with for three years or more, and that's our relationship before they finally get to the point where I'm like, they're ready for like the big commitment of being in a discipleship group where they're going to really want to grow in their faith and they're going to stick with it and not just quit. Yeah. And and so that, like having a long-term view of disciple making and relationally getting to know people and then calling them up into this deeper committed discipling relationship that I know you want to learn the ways of Jesus not just in general, but for me, yeah, you know that's that's all a part of the the process, and it takes time. Yeah, um, yeah, and I feel like also we just want things to happen fast. Oh yes, right. And so the idea of a process, like we love the word, but we hate executing that. You know uh, what yeah, I mean? So good. Yes. I oh, don't know. Yeah, it's yeah, like having that that process in learning like the long term marathon runner, not a sprinter. Like having that type of approach, it is life changing, not just for you, but the people that you're discipling. It takes the it takes all the pressure off yes. of like I've got to create this trophy of this spiritual impact that I've made with my life. I, we don't make any impact. Yeah, Christ makes the impact. I I got We got to have the time for you to get to know Jesus. Some of the great stories that I've had in my huddles of people having r- dramatic life changes, uh, coming out of big sexual sin, yeah. coming out of uh, lifelong uh, atheism or agnosticism, like these big life-changing moments, it usually did not happen in the blink of an eye. There was usually a, a moment where they crossed the line of faith, yes. a moment where they they let down their barrier and said, okay, God, I'm yours. But there was always this process of them beginning to learn how to hear from the Lord. And I've had people yeah. that they've they've actually been praying to God for months, but not crossed the line of faith yet because they didn't even know who or what they were talking to yet. Right. And I don't even know how to define that theologically, but just saying that this process of them learning to trust God in their life takes time. Yeah. I know you're in grad school at Wheaton and getting to hang out with some amazing leaders there. But uh, <laughs> hearing about that, yeah, that justification is when we have surrendered our life to Christ and been justified in our faith before God. Like yes. that's that's when you have salvation. But sanctification, the, 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 the process of purifying your life, becoming more like Christ is a process and we'll never be perfect until we get to heaven. Yeah. You know, and so that's, that is part of that process. And, and sanctification is really that process after you come to faith, but there's even a process of beginning to open up Yes. To salvation in the first place. And that's what, when I say farm league, like I think any disciple of Jesus, we think of discipleship as like, again, a course and education system, but discipleship making starts, like if you look at the um, early disciples of Jesus, they didn't know he was the Messiah yet. That's right. He called them and they belonged in that community before they were even Christians. They didn't know he was the Messiah. They didn't understand what he was doing. And so that belonging, even before you're believing, I, we teach about intentionally going out and finding 
people in your life that you're beginning to talk to about things of faith and presenting the gospel to and eventually helping them cross the line of faith. Yeah. And, and then that disciple-making process really takes off as you teach them the ways of Jesus now that they're ready to learn his ways. Yes. But that whole process begins before they even cross the line of faith. Yeah. Um, so I, and the reason I say that is, I think a lot of times there are Christians, if you're listening to this, and, and you aren't thinking about disciple-making of, I'm actually called to go, therefore, to all nations, right? Like, I'm called to go out yeah. and reach people where they're at and then disciple those people. And disciple-making is simply like a Christian educational skill. Yeah. You're missing out on what the New Testament teaches about disciple-making. Totally. I, yeah. It's so interesting because I live in like the greatest neighborhood. We're just like normal people who go to work and raise our kids. And in the cul-de-sac, we're, we're pretty close in our cul-de-sac. I love oh, that's cool. our neighbors. And so I was wondering if your neighbors would say the same about you guys. But maybe, that, not. Now, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, they would, Kathy. They I definitely don't know. Would. <laughs> maybe because of Steve Craig, but maybe not because of me, just because Steve is so extroverted and he's so friendly and so kind. But that's my plug for Steve Craig. But <laughs> I would say it's interesting that uh, one of my neighbors, they walk a lot and I see them and they're so friendly and awesome. And mm. just in this moment, he was vulnerable with Steve and I and talked about this like thing that was going on at work and and this, this conflict that he was experiencing with a coworker. Mm. And I remember taking out one of the tools, you know, that we use oh, cool. in, in huddle and in disciple making and kind of like, presented that to him in that compassionate, curious way that we do that as, okay. as disciple can, can makers. Okay, can I ask? Can yeah. I pry? Yeah. Yeah, for all the listeners out there, like we, what, what, like which tool was it and, and, and how, how did you use it? Yeah. And because I think this is important for some of you who actually are doing disciples and using some of, the, uh, making disciples and using some of these tools, like using it not just to teach a class, but yes. actually in life is the most important thing. So can you give me yeah. an example of- It was know. the Kairos moment, which is kind of like a staple yeah. for what we do in disciple making. And Mark 1, 14 to 16. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the God moment of the Kairos moment, God shows up and hearing from God in our lives. Yeah. Yes, and that he's right here and the kingdom is right here. And we think that yes. the kingdom is out there, but it's actually right here and we can share it with people in just mm. our everyday. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is a Kairos moment for our friend and uh, being cool. able to say, okay, well, what do you, what do you think God is saying to you? Oh yeah. You know, yeah. and what maybe what lie are you believing that that's causing all this conflict within you? You know what I mean? And yeah, in this situation, um, and then walking through that with him, but not in this way that's like, okay, we're gonna go through a Kairos moment and be really <laughs> cheesy about it, you know, like textbook like, but just like have a conversation yeah. in a way that points people to God and helps them see, like, oh my gosh, God is right here. Yeah, because think about it from a high level. If we believe, if, if we're a Christian and we believe anything about the Bible, we know that God created the universe and everything in it, right? Yep. And that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, as perfect sacrifice, overcoming sin and death. All of us can live eternally. But Jesus' big me message was the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes. And not the spatial thing, but like as it is in heaven, so it could be on earth. That it is already, but not yet. One day things will be perfect, but right now we can get glimpses of heaven because God is reigning. He can yeah. work in this world. And so like that means that God is actually speaking. So mm -hmm. the early Christians in the New Testament and in throughout the last 2,000 years of history, 
Some of the great moves, movements of God have occurred because people heard from God and then were just simply obedient to Him. Yeah. And and when you look at it then on the, the small, the micro scale, like when, when we're obedient to what God is saying to us, I think that that's when we see the greatest moments of our life. Yeah. The greatest moments of our life come from when we hear from God and are obedient to what He says, and yet most of us feel like we could never hear from God. He yeah. doesn't even talk to me. I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't think that we have a problem that God is talking or not. I think it has, we have a problem with we don't slow down to listen. Yeah. And we don't slow down to hear and then be obedient to what he is saying. And no one's ever taught us how to do that. Yeah. You know, and so I was talking to somebody today that they've got uh, some big moments coming in their life. And they were going to commit to the next month to just praying, studying scripture, and just asking God about this specific question. And it's yeah. like, I, can, I have so many stories of that. That is how people should make their decisions in life because the best things happen from these Kairos moments where God speaks to us and we're obedient. I talked to a pastor who's been working with uh, one of the wealthiest people in the country, uh, owns uh, tons of real estate all over the United States, and extremely wealthy. And people want to know, how do you relieve your business to make all of this income? And literally, he meets with uh, millionaires all over the world, training them on his business tactics. And here's what he does. He gets up in the morning at like 5 a.m., I don't know what time, and prays for an hour or two and brings all of his questions for that day about his business before the Lord and prays about him. And then he just does whatever the Lord tells him to yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's rocket science to me. Yeah, you know? it's like, it, it, but it seems like so abnormal to the way that humans live. Yeah. He believes that he's hearing from God of how to lead his business. And yes, it's worked out financially, but more importantly, it's worked out spiritually. Yeah. Uh, that that he is able to be a disciple maker in the business world, in the yeah. entrepreneur world. Yeah. And I think we often miss out on work, how that disciple making process occurs there because we're not listening to what God has to say. Those Kairos totally. moments anyway in discipleship puzzles that we focus on are huge, hugely important. Yeah. And we're not preaching a prosperity gospel by any means. Right, right. You know what I mean? Oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely not. And totally. anyway, I was going to make a joke, but then I was like, people may not know that I'm joking, so I'm not going to make a joke. Oh, my gosh. No way. No way, shape, or form. Uh, in fact, I think that's one of the problems with American Christianity yeah. is that we've taught people that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and white, and that's not true. Mm -hmm. Sometimes as you follow Jesus, the greatest blessings in your life are not going to be tangible things that other people see. When you have those Kairos moments in work, it doesn't mean you're going to get paid more money or you're going to yeah. have everything go well, but it means that you're going to get to see the greatest moments of your life where God actually shows up. Yes. How cool is that? And just that He is showing up every day. We just are so busy and so not in the business of being about our father's business Amen. that we just don't recognize Can, it right in front of us. I totally agree. Can I give you an example of this, yes. of my own failure at this in yeah, my own yeah, life? Yeah. So I'm a pastor at a mega church in Southern California. Everything's going great. Ministry's growing. We're seeing people come to Christ, be baptized. We actually saw 95 people get baptized in one service one night. Oh it was goodness. insane. Like you would think everything's going fantastic. And I remember I, I heard this pastor preach about the reason he was in ministry. And he used the Palm Sunday passage, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And he talks about, you know, we know that the disciples going to town get the donkey because it was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Yeah. But the disciples didn't understand that. Jesus just told them, go into town and take this donkey. And if anybody asks you why you're stealing their donkey, you just tell them, the Lord told me to. And he was talking about how he got into ministry because the Lord had called him and that he had heard from the Lord to do this. 
and I realized like ministry for me had become so much about learning the best practices and yes. and making the right decisions. And the reason I'd gotten to ministry was because of a calling, because I'd heard from God that that was what I should do with my life. And so that night I went and prayed in my hotel room and just... Uh, I remember this distinctly. I'm going to give you some details. Yeah. It was the cheapest hotel room I possibly could find. I'm not sure it still exists. And I remember getting down on my knees and and, and the cigarette butt smell from the carpet oh. was so strong. And in this moment, like all of it was gone because as I was praying, I just said, God, I want to get uncomfortably close to you. Wherever you want me to do it, I'll do it. And I had the most real Kairos moment I've ever had in my life. And, and, and God said, move to Indiana, start a church, and three friends of mine from high school were going to help us. Yeah. One wasn't a Christian. One had just gone through a divorce of those three friends. And anyway, all of it came true. I, I, within six months, my wife and first child were living in Indiana, and we were starting a church. And I sent emails to all my great Christian friends about, hey, come help us start a church. They all said no, and, uh, and which I understood. But the only three people who said yes were these three friends of mine from high school, one yeah. who wasn't even a Christian. And my wife pointed out to me, I... I, I hadn't even noticed because I was mad because 37 people said no of the 40 I sent the email to. And so <laughs> when she said that, she's like, that's exactly what God told you in a prayer would happen. Like, it really freaked oh me goodness. out. I was like, I really did hear from God. Yeah. Like, even as a pastor, like having those questions sometimes. But here's why I share it. But then when we, we were here and we saw all this happening and the church was beginning to start, we found out that we were pregnant and our unborn son had a genetic disorder, yeah. and he wasn't going to make it full term. And we did, then we found out right after that that our insurance wouldn't transfer from Southern California, where we had moved from, to Indiana. And and I remember just being devastated. And then we began to pray for a miracle that he'd be healed. And many of us who know us know the story, but uh, over that next six months, he actually made it full term, yeah. and we thought we might get to take him home. Uh, and then two weeks uh, in the hospital, after two weeks in the hospital, he passed away. And it was so devastating. We're in the middle of planting a church. And I'm like, God, you called us here? Why Why would you put us through all of this? Yeah. Why, you know, where are you at? And and I, I remember like feeling this way. And so you're talking about the, not the prosperity gospel. I had this Kairos moment, moved to Indiana, start a church, the biggest Kairos moment I've ever had still to date in my entire life. Yes. And we get here. And I lose a child, and we don't know about medical insurance. And then half the people that were going to help us start the church left because for, for an entire month, we didn't talk to people. We were mourning. Yeah. And so it was just like, it was a very confusing time. And looking back on it, I, I had this moment where I, I knew that I was frustrated with God over that. And I went to him, and I, and I was just like, God... Uh, you know, I don't understand this. I'm so upset. And and my wife at that moment, I felt like it was more understanding. I was mad. Yeah. And he put the story of John the Baptist on the, my, my mind. In that moment, as I'm praying, I really believe God just said, go read about John the Baptist. Yeah. Out of the blue. I didn't know why. I went and read the story of John the Baptist. And I realized here's a guy lived out in the wilderness, ate honey and locusts, sacrificed like crazy for God, paved the way for all of Jesus' ministry, right? Yeah. And then the way he's rewarded for it in this life is that he is taken, he's thrown into prison, he has his head cut off and served on a silver platter to a pretentious woman at a party. Oh my How horrible yeah. of a story that is. And then I began to read Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, these great men and women of God who see God use them, right? <laughs> you got Abraham, you got Noah, and you got all these incredible people who really see God use them. But then read the end of Hebrews 11. And starting at verse 35, it talks yeah. about the others, 
who have their heads cut off, that are sawed in two, that are burned to the stake, that live destitute in caves, fearful for their lives. Like those other people that aren't rewarded this side of heaven for it. So we don't get to determine the outcome of how we live our faith. We just get to determine whether we're faithful, as you said before. And, and so that health and wealth gospel mentality, I think, really is destructive to true disciple-making because we don't teach people how God is the same God in the good and the bad, and that we don't get to choose our story. We don't get to choose the outcome of our story. We just get to choose of how, what we do with the story God has given us. Yes. And because we that's realizing the story of John the Baptist and the huge impact he made by that sacrifice, you know, I changed my mentality about losing a, a child. Yeah. And we began to say, let's... Let's trust the Lord in this process and share his story with people. And we did, and we saw so many people come to Christ. We saw so many hurting people come and help us start the church that had no church home. And and, and we would have missed out on all those good things if we thought that hearing from God just meant that good things to our life. Right. But actually, hearing from God in the hard things was the biggest impact he probably ever used my life to make. Right. Um, yeah. Do you ever feel like... Um, do you ever feel like it's just, it's just heavy? It's just a lot. Like, yeah. and when you do feel those moments, because I know that we all do, um, how do you just take the next step? Yeah. Uh, as uh, when you're going through that, when you're yeah. going through the hardships, yeah. well, I think, you know, part of it, and, and for those making disciples too, that are working with people going through hardships, one is, is patience yeah. and, and knowing that like, there are going to be good days and bad days with that. But like getting to the point of being a disciple is surrendering everything, right? There, there is no way that I'm ever going to see God show up in my life. If I just surrender the parts of my compartmentalized life that I want to surrender and not the hard stuff. Yeah. Right. Like that's the problem with addiction. When you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, you're, you can be following the Lord, but if you have this thing that you haven't surrendered yet to the Lordship of Christ, yeah. it's always going to a pride in our, in our lives, in our marriages. If we have our sexual life, we're looking at, looking at pornography. We can all have these sin issues that we understand. If we don't under, surrender that to the Lord, we're never going to see the impact. But when it's not sin issues, not something that we've done, but the yeah. hardship that we've gone through, we often don't think about surrendering that over to the Lord. Yes, yes. Right? Like, it's not that we've done anything wrong. Definitely not. Sometimes the hard things happen in life or people do awful things to us. Yeah. And going, okay, God, I, I, I am going to trust you in this process and surrender this over to you is part of what it means to be a Christian and a, and a disciple. You know, the word in um, John three sixteen, we see that it's Super yeah. Bowl, all kinds of places, people holding signs up. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, yeah. that whoever believes in him shall not perish, right? Yeah. That we get to spend eternity with God. We will not die if we surrender our life to the Lord. And it's all about those who have faith, in the, who believe in, in Christ. But the word believe in that, that verse, John 3, 16, is yeah. pisteo. And in the Greek, it means believe, it means to have faith, but it also means to trust. Yeah. So in our head, we can cognitively believe something, but not trust it, right? Yep. But the word believe in John three sixteen is, there is this element of trust to it. And so if you believe in Christ as your Savior, it means you have to trust Him with the hard things of your life. And, and that, I'm not saying that's easy, but yeah, uh, part of a, being a disciple and being a disciple maker is teaching ourselves and others that trusting Him in the process is part of the hard part of, of following Him.